Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Elena Agaragimova, founder at Bassern. Being self-funded, B2C is a very expensive market. It's a very saturated market. To spend the kind of marketing that you need to get noticed in a B2C market is very high. And so we said, how can we, and we purposely tried to avoid investments for as long as possible. So we said, how can we make, you know, how can we create a product? How can we test it in a way that makes sense for us financially as well? What we know and what we practice is that at the end of the day, it's about creating processes. Just like when you're building a startup, right? You're going through that, you know, agile methodology where you're just continuously experimenting, right? Like the lean methodology for startups, etc. And we apply the same for the for the personal growth. So whether it's leadership development, etc. So it became more interested for organizations. And we already had the network. So it was much easier market entry for us, to be honest with you. This is Elena. She's both an entrepreneur as well as an engaged skill trainer and talent development specialist. She's known for her ability to drive change within individuals and organizations that are looking to reach their full potential and maintain their competitive edge in the business world. She has started her career in higher education, but then shifted towards corporate learning and talent acquisition in the last few years of her career, providing talent onboarding and development to multinationals across the MENA region. Elena has a strong passion for learning and development, for promoting creative and engaging workplaces, and all about optimizing performance through the development of others with a keen interest in neuroscience. In 2019, she co-founded Bassern. Bassern is on a mission to fast-track behavior change and disrupt the way people learn. They believe the future of learning is individualized and that learning is about action and consistency. Change isn't easy for most of us. Unless we create consistent routines, i.e. micro-actions, so that change doesn't depend on our motivation. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Elena to my podcast. We explore what's broken when it comes to the traditional approach to learning and development. We dig into how people learn, and how technology can help people learn more, faster, and with more joy, by taking a radically different approach. We discuss their journey from the idea to go to market, how this could be done in a way that was financially attractive. Beyond that, we explore how they overcame one of their biggest challenges to create app stickiness, a critical ingredient to their growth strategy. By listening to this podcast, you'll learn four things. Firstly, how you can deliver transformative change to an industry, even if it hasn't changed in decades. Secondly, how offering a solution that's delivered through a blend of both technology and people can give you a highly defensible advantage. Thirdly, that stickiness grows once individual users start to realize that they get nuggets of value that they would miss if they were gone. And fourthly, that creating new products to take to market can accelerate if you're architecting for reusability.
Michael Helena. Thank you very much for making the time today and be a guest on my podcast. Pleasure, pleasure to be here. It's an interesting thing. We connected on LinkedIn and started looking into the company that you co-founded together with your partner. And yeah, that, that kind of struck a couple of the right chords, so to say, about analyzing behavior and changing behavior. So that's mm-hmm. always something that, I, that I'm interested in. So we're going to talk about your company, Bessern. But before we start, a little bit about you. If you had to, if you had to describe yourself as an entrepreneur or as a person, what, what are the words that you would use? Sure. I would say somebody who's super curious, experimental. <laughs> and to be honest, I never consider myself an entrepreneur for, I don't know if I still do or not. I don't know the, you know, how to really define entrepreneurship. I guess it just, for me, entrepreneurship, it's about the traits of a person, you know? So I think for me, number one thing, like to be an entrepreneur is to be someone who's curious. So I guess naturally I've always been a very curious individual and I started working in education, higher education, sort of learning and program development, and then transitions more into the world of tech and really learning more about neuroscience and behavioral science and how does it apply to the way people learn. So sort of transition, but that curiosity, that experimental piece has always stayed with me. So, and it's interesting you mentioned the entrepreneur because I've, it's something I wonder about and I'm actually curious to know what, what, how do you see entrepreneurship? Like, what is an entrepreneur today, I guess? Is it more of like the set of characters for a person? or is it like the actions i don't know anyway it's just something that comes to top of my head well that could be a podcast in in its own right definitely it's something about action and about getting things started and seeing things and opportunities that's something Mm -hmm. that i see as something that is that is essential but you a couple of things that you mentioned curiosity definitely i mean you're reading my book right now you're in chapter two just wait for chapter four (laughs) (laughs) An experimental, and possibly that these two words go hand in hand as well. Mm. I think that's absolutely something that would make a good a good entrepreneur. Just trying things out, and if you fail, you learn, rather than yeah. if you fail, you you failed or you lost. So yeah, good. And I like those characteristics. So talking about Besson, you started a company together with your partner Ivan in October yeah. nineteen. I saw. Mm-hmm. So what is the big idea behind this or, or what was a problem that you saw that required, yeah, that was screaming for a solution? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've started a couple years back with my co-founder, Ivan Palomino, and he comes from a background of really working in big organizations, corporates, right? And I came from that learning, a learning background, working with higher education institutions, as well as trainings within the corporate world. And we both kind of, you know, literally came out of a conversation of a dinner team one time. We're, you know, we're friends for six years now, maybe more even. And, you know, we started discussing the different challenges when it comes to learning and how people learn in organizations. And what we've noticed is one of the biggest things is that this old school traditional approach of putting people in the room, you know, six to eight hour training simply just does not work. So we got basically curious about, well, what does work? And being sort of very interested in this behavioral science and neuroscience as it relates to people development fields, we started to explore that a bit into it. And so what we found is that, you know, there's a huge opportunity in helping people create learning journeys that are completely individualized, yet they also get support of a live person, so a live coach. So moving away from the typical LMS learning management systems and the e-learnings and all of that, right? Moving towards this hybrid model where we can still create opportunities for people to learn. Most importantly, we can help people love what they learn and continue learning based on, again, using that neuroscience piece 
And we're not scientists by far. We've worked with some to help us develop our products. But, but what we found out is that our, the human brain essentially does not learn in mass big chunks, particularly when we're talking about like corporate topics, like trainings and leadership development and these sort of things. In fact, we learn in these micro literal little chunks, micro learnings, right? And on top of that, in order for us to sustain the information, we really need to implement it and practice it, right? So, and in the training world right now, the whole ROI is almost non-existent. So there's no ROI, you know, after the two days. So it's like, what are we doing as organizations and as individuals wasting our time and money, basically? So that's the issue that we saw. And again, with all the latest research that's out there about how people learn and how our brain processes information, there's so much that can be created from that. And so that's kind of how the whole idea got started and kind of went up from there. Yeah, I can imagine. So you already talked about the opportunity if you get this right. I mean, I see that there's opportunity, of course, on a personal level, but also on the people where you work and the people that employ you, the companies at the end. So where do you believe is, yeah, what drives what? Or where do you see the, the biggest potential here? Mm. So we actually, we started off in the beginning when we we're first kind of testing our products, we were looking at to B2C markets. And okay. then we, we realized that that might not have been the best entry point for us. As you know, it's, it's just a completely different, different game. And for us, we're self-funded. We don't have the big kind of funds behind us. So we said, how can we make this more impactful? So we found that B2B, in fact, is much interested in this because companies are of course, with the training budgets and the people development budgets, they change from year to year. But generally speaking, company is always looking at how can they upskill their employees at a rate that is accessible and affordable. Accessible meaning that employees, it doesn't need to take them out of the work working day. They can do this at the convenience of their home, right on their own time. And affordability that using tech, you know, whether it's applications, whether it's tools that we use, makes it affordable because then you're able to give the same quality of the learnings to all of your employees. And us being based in Dubai, we have multinationals we work with where they're based in Saudi and Northern Africa and and parts of Asia. So the teams are kind of split out. So with, with this kind of tech, they're able to have that live sessions. They're able to have the, the tech aspect using the app, right? And the e-learning. And on top of that, they have support of a real human being on the other end of that. And everybody gets the same. So it's the quality versus bringing in a trainer, one in Saudi, another one in Dubai, right? The costs go up significantly in that True. case. Yeah. And surely there are some aspects of the face-to-face that are important in some places, but that is something that we haven't found a challenge with so far. So it's been quite smooth. So I think as long as you know organizations kind of see the engagement piece quite high, and that's another beauty of tech is you can track, you can track improvements of your staff who is joining these programs. Yeah. And finally, for individual, what makes it exciting and interesting is because it's completely individualized and tailored for them. So you take any soft skills development topic, let's just say emotional intelligence, everybody is at different levels of that. It's a continuous journey, right? So how can you create, how can you sort of help people develop their emotional intelligence at work on an individual basis? It's very difficult to do in that face-to-face setting with a group of 20 of your mid-level managers. It just simply doesn't work. So this is kind of where organizations are finding it much more affordable and accessible. And essentially, they're able to track the progress. So it does offer some sort of impact like this is the impact our employees are having as a result of this let me make a small interruption here elena just made an excellent remark about how doing something controversial 
i.e. offering a blend of technology together with an individual human touch, helps create remarkable impact, i.e. results that would not be easily achieved through each of the individual components. It's an example again of combining some of the core traits that define remarkable software companies. They focus on the essence, i.e. the key ingredients required to deliver the highest possible value and deliver that in a way that's convenient and sticky. And this helps to turn customers into fans, which is key to drive their momentum. So you can master these traits as well. And I have two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. And you can find that on amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Well, just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers share their experiences with our tribe and what they've come to value most. Back to the interview. Very interesting. And I'm saying that we've uh, very carefully chosen in this case. My first podcast was with, with, maybe it has to be like that for some reason. My first podcast in 2018 was with Maurizio Vecchione. And that podcast was about catalytic invention. And he was talking about, about he's working for an NGO and, and using technology to help people in, in development countries, not in developed countries, but people in development countries yeah, to create a better, a better life. And he was talking about the three A's, accessibility, affordability, and the third one is applicability. And I think you're missing one here because I think that the magic behind what you're talking about here is the applicability of it because it is all around you. And that's where the real value comes in. And you deliver that in, in a way that's accessible, but also affordable. Mm-hmm. So that is an interesting one. He said, if you, if you crack the three A's, then you crack very big problems. And, even, well, and, and it becomes affordable for people that can't afford it which is typically the development countries, then you solve the problems in the, in the developed countries as well. So that's an interesting thing. What, I also, what else intrigued me here is that you initially started with a B2C model, and I can see where that, why you come, came to that point, but later on then moved to a B2B model. Why do you think that the B2C model of people that want to kind of improve their career just didn't work with, with following an individual approach? Is that mm. not because they don't want to spend that, that money on themselves? To be honest, there's a couple of challenges why we in particular didn't go with it. Number one, again, being self-funded, B2C is a very expensive market. It's a very saturated market. To spend the kind of marketing that you need to get noticed True. in a B2C market is very high. And yeah. so we said, how can we, and we purposely tried to avoid investments for as long as possible to make sure that we have a, like a product that, you know, and it was just a choice for us. So we said, how can we make, you know, how can we create a product? How can we test it in a way that makes sense for us financially as well? B2C, there was some interest, but, and we, I don't have exact answers. I can tell you our experience. What we found is one, it's absolutely oversaturated market when it comes to career development, personal development topics, upskilling, et cetera. So that's one. Number two, what we talk about as well, particularly in the Middle East is our whole 
product is not only about the actual application and the tool, it's also about the methodology, the methodology around how can we help people create processes that make them more productive, make them better communicators at work, make them critical thinkers, continuous learners, loving to learn. How can we help them create practices, daily habits that then drive them to achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve? So I think part of it is also the methodology. Also, it's quite popular in parts like the US and some other countries. In parts like the Middle East, it's still quite new, this concept. And people just kind of want to learn. And again, I cannot judge on the rest of the world, but I can judge from our experience in the Middle East is that we've seen that people just kind of want very quick turnaround and they want things to happen. They want them to happen now. And what we know and what we practice is that at the end of the day, it's about creating processes, just like when you're building a startup, right? You're going through that, you know, agile methodology where you're just continuously experimenting, right? Like the lean methodology for startups, et cetera. And we apply the same for the, for the personal growth. So whether it's leadership development, et cetera. So it became more interested for organizations And we already had the network. So it was much easier market entry for us, to be honest with you. We still do some individual stuff, but it's not our primary market. The biggest part, honestly, I think is just the mass of investment that needs to compete in that market and the technology as well. So, and that's something we're still, you know, developing continuously. So, yeah, I think you're perfectly right on that. And I think also the problem in a B2B setting is larger than if you look at it from a B2C setting, although it's the same person, it, mm-hmm, it's felt mm-hmm. in a different way. And that, of course, will drive more uh, desire for your uh, demand for your solution. But I'm yeah, always interested you, in this. Yeah. Sorry, you, you mentioned as well about that people are not always willing to pay. And that's also that could be part of it. So I think that whole... And that's something else we teach is in, in our sort of methodology. And what we promote is that, you know, as individuals, whether we're working in corporations or, you know, outside and investing in ourselves, it's then being proactive. So we're trying to, again, help people create processes where they are continuously proactive about their own learning, development, career development, career growth. And I think that's a world challenge in general, right? Because we are tend to be, you know, as a society, many of us are very reactive versus being proactive. And so in organizations, it's sort of, they kind of are our allies and helping their employees be proactive. And we're just there to provide the support and the tools, essentially. So that's just wanted to add to that. Yeah, you're talking to a group that's already telling themselves a story about that. That's what I want to go and looking for these for these solutions actively. What I'm always interested in is like what sparked, what was the moment that sparked the idea to uh, let's let's start and let's start doing this. Well, good question. So before we actually started two years back, both of us were involved before we left our companies and started this full time. We were both involved on the side and various sort of, you know, side gigs opportunities within that this space. So the itch to create something was already there. So I can't pinpoint to a moment. I know personally, I had a moment. I cannot speak for my business partner. That's actually something I should ask. I don't, I don't know what's his, what was his moment, but I have an idea of what was his moment, to be honest, but I think that's for him to share. For me, I remember, in fact, I was in Spain. I was in Spain on vacation and I've already been thinking about kind of, it's time to start creating, you know, everything is there, everything is ready to go. And I literally, as cliche as this may sound, I just woke up one morning and I was just thinking, 
about my year ahead. And I said, do I want to spend this next year doing something for the company I work for, or do I want to give this thing a try? And at that point, I had kind of all the ducks in a row. And I said, yeah, there was no question. There was no question in my mind that if I'm going to spend next year doing anything, it's going to be this. So that kind of gave me that push and that courage, so to say, to just, and I came back and I resigned. Like right after my vacation, I went to my boss's office, I submitted my resignation. And it was as simple as that. But to be fair, it's been in the works for a couple of years. So in terms of like, this is, and because again, the sort of ducks have aligned. So I had clients, so I felt more comfortable financially, client-wise, project-wise. I was kind of ready, ready to jump ship. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's always the moment, right? Like, when do you start? And a lot of people have great ideas, but they never start. Mm-hmm. Because it, yeah. feels, it feels so much of a, of a mountain to climb. Yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just, yeah, I think you'll never be truly ready. That's what I can tell you. And I can tell you even as, as ready as I thought I was, looking back, probably I could have told myself the story for another year, you know, or maybe even longer. So, and it was just one of, you just have to make a decision and then, you know, you just, you just do it. So, I mean, again, being mindful of your personal circumstance. <laughs> no, but that's exactly where things start or where things don't start. I mean, I, I finished my book with that. It might all sound crazy until it's not, you know. There's no one to judge on that. It's just you having the guts to, <laughs> to start doing it. So, and then, well, you start it and you start developing. In the meantime, there's a product, there's an organization around it. But I'm always interested in it to understand, like, what were the fundamental choices that you made along the process? How did you create something that creates a remarkable effect, that creates desire with people that they want to have this? Mm-hmm. What did you try to do different? Well, through a lot of trial and error, I guess the good thing about the combination that my co-founder and I bring together is that we are continuously testing and experimenting. We have no shame to fail and try again and putting things out there and just continuously experimenting until something stuck. Because I think the biggest challenge for us was, and you can relate when you're inside the development, when it's your baby, sort to say, and you're developing it, you don't see, you do not see beyond what you see. So, so realizing that, you know, how you see things and how your customer is going to see things is like, can be a world of a difference. So that was a hard lesson for us to learn, which is why our app went through so many changes and we've we've actually wasted a lot. I don't want to say wasted, but we've put a lot of money towards the app to redo and overdo because it just wasn't usable. <laughs> Realistically, just the, the first the first version of it was just you know ridiculous. And when, when people started using it, they're like, guys, we have no idea what's like how to even follow it. They're like, oh my God. So now we're like in version three, three and a half, and we're like, we got it right, you know? Our biggest challenge was how do we make it sticky? So, and that's something I'm actually looking forward to in your book because I know it's a chapter that's coming up for me. But creating that stickiness to the product and Again, going back to sort of the science of how we do things in our methodology, for us, it was about how can we help people create processes that are easy to follow? So, And what we've noticed is that the biggest excuses people make when it comes to coming back to the app, or you know, their valid excuse maybe, says, I don't have time, right? I don't have time is the big one. So we said, okay, they don't have time. So how can we make sure that we, it doesn't take a lot of their time. So our app, the way it's designed is to say, you don't need a lot of time. You need five to 10 minutes a day to create a quick habit, to learn this piece of information, piece of content and go and apply it. So, and then on top of that, we're going to nudge you. So the nudging aspect is very important, right? So it's those little reminders that help people come back to the app and continue using it. 
So I guess that was the differentiating factor. And on, and on top of that, we believe that the future of learning is individualized. And we wanted to also provide access to coaching for people at an affordable rate, because not everybody can afford a 200 US dollar per hour plus plus coach. So having that live human support is something that was very interesting for people as well, which was we weren't sure about in the beginning because it's such a mass to have a coach that is available and accessible at any time, anywhere type thing, which is what we aim to do is quite challenging. So, but that seems to be the most sort of hook that companies even liked as well. So interesting because I mean, you're sort of blending technology and people and making the best out of both. Mm-hmm. because you can Absolutely. get so far with people you can get so far with technology and together it's more like one plus one equals three yeah and i like yeah. your approach like how can we make it sticky because once you kind of crack that code almost it's yeah then people have a reason to come back and to come back for more mm. and we're still that's a continuous you know it's a continuous journey for us here i mean everything that i'm telling you it's it's been tested it's been proven but there's always like every week, as you know, like there's always with technology, there's a new challenge, a new, a new customer that you have not came across before, a new company that wants something different or it's continuous challenging. So we're continuously looking at innovating that aspect. And what recently actually what we've done is we're now trying to incorporate, not trying, we are incorporating actually a predictive analytics, not just predictive analytics, but predictive software to go hand to hand with our software to help us predict what are possible skills that people will actually need in their particular roles. And on top of that, a very important part of everything that we do has to do with human psychological resources. So not only do we focus on like skill building, we also look at how can we help people find that intrinsic motivation to drive their own development organization. So as I'm speaking now, how I would describe us, I guess, would be we are sort of the drivers of the methodology, I would say, and the app and all the tools are just toolbox tools that we use in our toolbox to help people sort of reach their potential. And so we're continuously innovating on the tech side as well. So it's always learning. <laughs> Let's see yeah, where exactly. we are next year. <laughs> no, but 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 you reach on uh, well, you talk, you touched upon a very important topic, and I realize also that the moment you start growing customers and. I mean, your first customers you're really happy with, and then you start to realize where the fit is and might not be with this customer, but then with that customer. So they're just pulling you in different directions, so to say. So was there anything you, I mean, to, just to kind of quote Steve Jobs again, he always said, innovation is not about what you do or what you say yes to, but what you say no to. I mean, was there anything that you said no to that appeared to be a very important no, or, or what is your mechanism to say no? Mm. In the beginning, we had a hard time saying no, but to be fair is the way we started our business and me, I don't know if it's the most effective way, but that's what worked for us as co-founders and our personalities is we said, we're just going to try a few different things at the same time. We didn't have a huge focus, to be honest. We knew what we, we knew what we wanted to do. We just weren't really sure about specifically how or the audience. We had the audience, but we had a couple of different audiences, let's put it that way. And for us, it worked best because we didn't know. So we don't know what we don't know, right? So for us, we just kind of went and just tried many different things. And the good thing is that we did it so quickly. We learned very quickly. And then we found something that sticks. So in the beginning, we were just kind of talking to different partners, opportunities for partnerships, etc. I would say right now, what we're very mindful of being a small team 
is not to spread ourselves too thin. So our biggest sort of thing is that we now, now that we picked up a little bit of traction in the Middle East, we're now starting to pick up some traction just by the nature of our branding and content and marketing, it goes out to different parts of the world. So we've had people approach us and say, have you thought about entering this market and this market? So I think that's where we said, listen, like, this is not like, you know, we need to really have that strong foot in the Middle East, which is where primarily we're in GCC, so UE, Saudi. And now we're entering a little bit into CIS countries as well. And so, for example, and there's some interest as well from other parts of the world. And we just kind of said, would love to have this, but we're just not ready yet. So I think it's being mindful of, you know, our eyes are like, oh, yes, this would be an amazing market. But realistically, just being mindful, are we going to be able to provide that? Is our tech going to be able to handle the masses that might be coming on board? And, you know, with with that exactly, uh, sensibility, yeah. it's a little bit different when you have masses, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, better have it right, because otherwise it will hit you big time and it will it will come your way so you're also kind of one one of the things that you picked that i picked up on is that like partnerships are really important i mean and you also picked up on the kind of staying resourceful which is like one of the traits that remarkable software companies have they make an art of being resourceful just to be ready for the next thing so when do partnerships come in and how do you utilize partnerships in your decisions about product strategy just to kind of stay resourceful at the end Yeah. So we partner up mainly with companies that are able to complement our software, essentially. So we have a couple that we're working with from the beginning. And interesting is that majority of the companies we partner up with are also other startups. And naturally, because it's an easier connection, an easier kind of partnership, of course, versus going somewhere bigger, it's a more affordable option. But most importantly for us, whether it's the team that's developing the actual software, so we are involved in it big time, but we do have coders and programmers that are, of course, on the team. When it comes to that, we're moving so fast in terms of what's next. And we really need company, like any partner we, we work with needs to be decision makers, need to be making those decisions quite quickly to be able to sort of keep up. So we we try to partner up with so like with the software companies, with AI-based companies as well. So two of them actually, one works with us on the assessment piece. So we're using their assessment to incorporate into ours to help individuals identify which level they're at and their yeah. particular skills. And then there's another one that the predictive analytics piece. So that's another company out of UK that we're partnering up with. For us, the most important thing about partnership is how fast can they make decisions? <laughs> how fast can they get us what we need so yeah. that we, you know, so that we can move forward and also exposure for us. We also look at working with companies that are, again, maybe they're providing the services, some of the things that we do, but they don't have the solutions that we have yet. Yeah. They have the reach so we work with partners. And of course, because we were sponsored by the Abu Dhabi government, so the Ministry of Wellbeing, in fact, and with them, you know, they were our one of our biggest, of course, partners and supporters from the beginning of this journey. So of course, there's a lot of different benefits of working with actual government entities in the place that you're at. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. And there's different things you should see in partners. And I completely agree with you that they need to be complementary. It needs to create a win-win situation because that's where, where you get leverage. Mm-hmm. So in the whole process of developing, were there any surprising byproducts that came out that you didn't expect? 
Yes. So we've entered into the B2B space with yeah. working with corporates. And as we started going through this, we got noticed by institutions. So we developed the whole product just for universities and schools, high schools. <laughs> so we and we have partners on that side as well. So we have developed a new product, similar methodology, but it's a different, completely different, not a completely, but it's a significantly different product from what we do with Bestern. But methodology and the tech is, that's the beauty of it. We can reuse and sort of, you know, to save us on the cost of developing something completely from scratch. So we're using a lot of the tech and the methodology into this new product, but the audience is completely different. The content is very different. So it's high schools, kids that are about to graduate from high school or university students of all levels. So that was not in the plans for us per se, but that's been quite interesting because the youth, what we found are quite tech savvy in general and they love the you know they love that they can hop on and and use the app they love the completely digital approach versus in corporations many are still going towards that very traditional training sort of approach while the youth is like no no I just want to learn what I want to learn and that's something suitable for me and yes I want to talk to somebody about it and they love to have that chat so we have the video option but mostly it's like a whatsapp chat so to say but through the platform so we found that youth is quite excited about that so that's the sort of surprising not a surprising but it's 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 not something we expected it's an adjacent market that have similar needs, but in a completely different setting. And it's about employability of students at the end. Yes. And of exactly. course, in education, they really understand that they have to change as well, especially Absolutely. this year with COVID hitting the world and they had to go completely digital. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that can actually actually accelerate a number of things as well. So interesting. So what, what have you learned from, yeah, when it comes to creating growth and momentum, what has been your biggest learning here? And maybe the biggest obstacle? That is something actually we're quite proud of. We've built quite a good reputation and brand in our market, GCC in particular, creating very kind of authentic and just raw content that's completely in-house. You know, our whole marketing for the, for the at least for the majority, we do have some part-time people that work with us on the marketing side, but it's completely in-house. We did a good job with connecting with the right publications, the right platforms, of course. I think the biggest thing when it comes to marketing your products and that content piece, so we spend a lot of time develop, not a lot of time, but we spend a lot of time looking at creating content that adds value to our community and our audience without, we don't even sell. We don't do those sort of direct sales. We just create content that is valuable. And a lot of the customers that we get is a result of the content that they've seen and they liked. And they said, Hey, you know, we checked out your website. In fact, after this session, et cetera. So that's been quite good for us. Consistency is key. Yeah. So continuously showing up, I mean, we've been creating content on I mean, a weekly basis. We put out between five to 10 pieces of content minimum, minimum on the company side, on individual side. It's something I'm just a fan of. I love to publish. I love to be on podcasts. So in addition to our personal sort of experiences, so we create quite a bit of content and consistency is definitely key. This is where we've seen the most impact in terms of how we rank out there in terms of who knows about us in terms of who reaches out about us and the channels that we found across is majority is through good quality content creation. That's where it all starts. Consistency and quality content and hitting the right nerve with that. that then things will come slowly, but gradually. Yeah. 
I mean, you're you're reading my book, so I, maybe I shouldn't ask right now, but I'm I'm going to ask. And since you started the company, what do you believe are secrets, or is the secret to create a software business that people will talk about? I think when you're creating anything, again, just from my personal experience, it's more about your mindset <laughs> than anything else. Like I feel that. When you're creating something, when you're creating a product or service, it's a matter of time until you get it right. It's just that, you know, as long as you're in it, you're consistent, you're continuously learning, continuously improving, right? You know, you're not afraid to try again and again. I think eventually you'll kind of, you'll find that sweet spot that you're looking for. The hardest part about creating anything, whether it's a service or software or whatever it is, again, just from my experience, it's just the mindset. It's those days when, you know, when you just, it's a roller coaster. I got this somewhere. I'm sure I heard it somewhere, but somebody mentioned that, you know, entrepreneurship is like a roller coaster. You're in a continuous emotional state where you can be really happy when within an hour you can go from this is amazing to I hate this maybe we should quit I need to find a job <laughs> right so it's a continuous so it's that it's those mental moments that you have the conversations you have with yourself and I really think that's it like I believe that there's enough resources out there if you're a resourceful course that there is access to information access to people access to funds to investors money whatever you need to start yeah. something is there you don't need to be the smartest person right so that's why you have a team that drives right so I think a matter is a matter as long as you have these basics it's a matter of time it's just a matter of time but the mindset is I think this is it it's just sure. how do you overcome those days when you just and thankfully, we haven't had those in a while. But how do you overcome those days when you just you just don't know if this was the right decision? How do you overcome your self sort of critic? And some people like my, my business partner, he's very much a perfectionist where I'm not. So also having that the right partner is, I think, a very important aspect. So I think, yeah, mindset, your own mindset and having the right team, the right partner, particularly yeah. the, your co-founder or co-founders. I think that's what it takes. So it's not a software answer for you, like not a... No, no. Know, but I mean, but that's yeah, typically yeah. what it's about. It's not about technology. Yeah. yeah it's exactly. not about technology yeah. at all. Because like you said, it's like the technology, the people, the, the funding, the, I mean, everything is available and it comes down to mindset. So what keeps you motivated then? I mean, why do you on, these, on some bad days come out and say, okay, well, got the crap, keep biting in it and just have the persistence to keep going? How do you achieve that? For myself, and I think I can speak to for my business partner here as well, we just really believe in what we're doing and we see the impact. And we just said, okay, we, there's just something we need to work out. Like there's just, a, you know, we just need to tweak it because our sort of the, the mission, sort of say, the mission that we set out to do, it's something people need. It's impactful. We believe in it. And every like, you know, when we have our strategy meetings, every like, you know, week or every couple of weeks, we say, we feel like we didn't even start yet. So we feel like there's still so much that we haven't tried. Like it's, you know, this is not working we haven't tried, you know, hundreds of other things that we haven't tried yet to improve this, yeah. whatever that is that we're, we're having a challenge with. So I think it's that. Also, just as I, this is going to be very simple, but just exercise, getting a little bit of dopamine into your brain, getting the yes. blood flowing. It is so important just to get out, go for, going for a walk because what, and this is this is my my strategy now. I've learned this the hard way. After you have so many moments when you're like, okay, I'm questioning myself, go for a walk, an hour walk. Everything will be completely different by the time you come back. 
And I think it, it goes back to that mindset. So how do you control your mind? How do you manage your own mind? Because we go into spirals of negative thoughts that then don't, that block creativity, that your fear increases. And there's basic strategies, right? Go and get some serotonin, go to the gym, right? Like go get all those, make you feel good chemicals running in your body. And it really does solve like 60% of your doubts. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, so whatever works for you. So yeah, I, I completely agree it's mindset and it's the north star i would always call it the vision that you have in front of you like where do you want to be that aspiration and then yeah keep building that wave behind you as my book will tell you so what are you most proud of achieving so far what are anecdotes or what is an anecdote that's that you keep telling others gosh no you put me on the spot i don't know I mean, there's so, so much else. I mean, just like when we look back and we, we have our actually stra- next strategies this Thursday because it's the end of the year. So on the 31st, we're going to look back at our year. So we've been each like individually writing down some of the things, some of our accomplishments, us as a company, as, as a team. And just the mass, the mass amount of trial and errors, the mass amount of testing different products and services that we, we have done over the last couple of years being a small team and that alone is an accomplishment I think and the fact that we're just we don't even see it as like this didn't work out we just we just have fun with it I guess that would be the thing we most we just we enjoy it we have fun with it we have fun with it we love every minute of it I think that's something to be proud of because it's such a fulfilling experience and, and for us the purpose the the our values are very important so the fact that we're able to stick to our purpose and values and kind of drive the products with the same mentality and maintaining such a strong, I guess, relationship because with the co-founders, it's a relationship. It's, you know, that's, I think it's even harder than marriage sometimes, <laughs> you know? So it's, I think that's what I'm most proud of. I think the team that we've created, I would say, at least from my side, I would say that's what I'm proud of as us as a company is the team that we've created and how quickly we learn and pivot and how much we trust each other and trust in what we're doing and believe in ourselves, I guess I would say that's what I'm proud of at least. Very good point about trust. What do you believe is the secret to create that trust and to keep that trust? Transparency, transparency. I think it's just being brutally honest with each other and giving each other feedback when we need it, having the difficult conversations about whatever it is, whether it's financing or these sort of things. I think that's, that's important. Having the uncomfortable conversations. And I, I just, I have to relate it. It's almost like any other relationship. It's like, however you build trust in your regular relationships, right? Then your marriages or whatever relationship you're in. I think that's how it is with your team members, whether it's your yeah. co-founder or whether it's the people that are working with you. It's just transparency, making sure that people feel heard, not taking things personally, which we're really good at. Although business is personal, for us, it's pers- very personal in all aspects, but you know, we don't take, we just listen and we don't like it always. And sometimes we, you know, with my co-founder and I, we fight like brother and sister, but we know that this is part of the process and we need to get through it and let's move on, you know, but I think it's just transparency, being very open and about everything that's happening. Great insights. And I, yeah, that's, that's so true. And it's so often that we yeah, start hiding yeah, when it really comes down to having that difficult conversation. That's where complacency yeah. starts. And when complacency starts, you start to tell yourself stories about that you're doing great. Things are, so, is, is, are very often completely different. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, to stay on top of that is a really important thing. 
So from all the lessons that you learned as an entrepreneur before Besson, inside Besson, what is an advice that you've received or that you would give to others that aspire a similar journey? I would say, again, so far with with just kind of still fresh in entrepreneurship and still been a few years overall. And I can tell you that one of the two things that usually come in the way and they have for us at one point or another, thankfully, we're over the hill, I guess, on, on those things. But as I mentioned, the mindset piece, making sure that you're ready for the ups and downs, because having the support system of people who understand you, when we first started this journey, you will lose a lot of people along the way, because not everybody's going to understand your journey. So I think it's having the right support that will also help with the mindset piece. And also making sure your financials are intact. So before you jump into any sort of journey, and I know this is very common sense, et cetera, but like for us, nobody could have predicted COVID, right? So if we, you know, thankfully we were prepared for it from a financial aspect, but imagine if we weren't, you know, so, and this is why a lot of companies just, you know, they're going to stay in 2020 because they just weren't able to make it over. So I think that's a very important, making sure you have those passive incomes before you go full on with with your startup because again i mean this is just a perfect example it's covid like we could have never predicted it we could have never predicted it so there's going to be so i think financial because again these two your mindset and finances are going to impact the way you do business and if you're if you're worried about finances your creativity is blocked everything is blocked it's very difficult to do business you go into desperate mode etc so i think that making sure again, and it's all, I just keep, as I'm speaking, it keeps coming back to the mindset. So whatever you need to do to keep your mindset at a premium, making sure that you're able to produce quality premium results in whatever you're doing. Um, like and well, you know, so whatever it, that means, exercising, making sure your finances, making sure you have the right network, the right environment, how you spend your days. It's all about the habits, right? So what are the processes, which is what, what are the processes in your day that keep you at, at your most optimal? Yeah, very good one. That's so essential. And I like the, the way you, you phrase it, keep your mindset at a premium. Because yeah. mindset is one thing, but it's, the moment it starts to kind of crumble or yeah, fragment, what is left of it. Mm-hmm. So what is next with Besson and well, and the things that you're creating around it? Where, where do you want to be, let's say, in 12 months' time or in 18 months' time? So we are super excited, actually. So the unsuspected product, as I mentioned earlier, the one that's more focused towards schools and higher education has significantly picked up traction more than we expected to be honest yeah. it's now stampeding the corporate lead that we have so we're really really excited and it's something that's very close to our hearts as well and with the recent pandemics as you mentioned schools and universities are now opening up an eye to potential opportunities for career development and really closing that gap between education and the real world work and i know we've been talking about this as a society for quite some time but i can tell you we're still so much lacking and closing Sure. that gap it's insane so that's significantly picking up so we see a, a growth and we hope and we're really putting a lot of effort into being the go-to people sort of for preparing the future of youth for the future of work so we are our whole motto on that product is creating youth that is future ready and that's through different services and products that we offer there. So we're super excited about that. We want to see be the go-to people in the GCC market in particular. We have had actually some interest from the U.S. as well. 
also because we we do have some networks in the U.S. So it just kind of came out. So that could be potential there. But right now we're just focusing on GCC and the CIS market. We are ready. We have gone all of our content to Russian and Arabic. So we're ready to, in the next 12 months, to really just expand a little bit into the rest of the GCC countries and, and a couple of CIS countries. Nice. Nice aspirations and good to see that, that things are picking up that you didn't expect, but that you get a couple of pillars to balance the growth. So if there's anything you could ask the audience, if, if the audience could help you, what would your ask be? Get proactive about your own development. <laughs> I would ask ask people to think about how can they be more, I guess, proactive and what are they doing for their proactivity? Because essentially that's our whole push. So the more we can get people to start thinking about how can you be more proactive about your business career, whatever it may be, education even, right? How can you be more proactive? Yeah. And just how can you be curious and yeah, just proactive, I guess, proactive. So yeah proactive and follow our content <laughs> we give a lot of stuff for well, free of it's, course um, content i mean i asked and you answered so that's the thing to do and i think people will, will benefit from it so well to get proactive on our own development where can people go to find out more about your company and to say hi to you Sure. So we're mainly on LinkedIn. So we have a LinkedIn page and of course our website. So it's just, they can just look up bestern.co or it's bestern, B-E-S-S-E-R-N. Yeah, we're just, we're on LinkedIn mainly. We have some videos out there, et cetera. But once you go to LinkedIn, you'll be able to find the rest of it. Very good. Well, thank you very much. Really inspiring. I like the journey that you're on. Thank you for being so honest and sometimes even vulnerable about the learnings. And that's what people really like. Very, yeah, I hope the the very best for 2021 for you and that the world will, that the bigger part of the world will get access to the technology that you have to level up and to get proactive about their their own development. Thank you. Thank you. And I look forward to finishing your book. It's been quite eye-opening so far. Some of the pieces are new and eye-opening on the other sides. It's like, this is a, I knew, like, I know this. Why didn't I think about this? Or, you know, it's reminders and triggers. And so I think that's the beauty about content at the end of the day, you know, and that lives on and to have it as a resource is beautiful. I look forward to finishing it. Thank you. Exactly. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And this ends my conversation with Elena. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Elena Agaragimova, co-founder at Bastern. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, Share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode.
That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.